Welcome to Total Convexity, a weekly financial podcast that caters to professional finance individuals, high net worth investors, family offices, and other sophisticated financial professionals. Join our hosts, hedge fund manager Jim Wang and Henrik Neohaus, as they explore the interconnected world of global macroeconomics, central banks, and capital markets. Comprehending the intricate web of global macroeconomics, central bank policies, and capital markets isn't just an option, it's a necessity. Whether you're a chief investment officer, financial analyst, entrepreneur, or simply someone curious about how the global economy and capital markets function, this podcast serves as your compass through the intricacies of the global financial landscape. In each episode, we will delve deep into the influential factors shaping our world, from global economic trends and central bank policies to capital markets and trading strategies. We will demystify financial jargon, clarify complex numerical data, and provide you with insights from experts in the field. Total Convexity Episode 7 is recorded on the 9th of November, 2023. I'm your host, Henrik Neuhaus. Joining me is my co-host, Jim Wang. I'm glad to return with Episode 7 of our podcast series. In the first episode, we discussed our investment and analytical framework, and we recommend you listeners to start out by reviewing our first episode as the explanation of our framework lays the foundation for subsequent episodes. Since then, we have discussed interest rates, the US dollar cycle, gold, fiscal and monetary policies, and in our previous episode, provided an update on liquidity. Jim, what would you like to discuss this week? Uh, Yeah, hey everyone, I'm glad to return to the new episode. Uh, By the way, today is November the 10th. Uh, I know time goes by fast. Uh, And uh, given the recent volatilities, uh, in the interest rate market, and also the synchronized movement of the stock and bonds, uh, I think maybe it's um, it's a good idea for us to discuss the correlation between interest rate and bond, uh, interest rate and uh, and the stocks. You know, what do you think, Henrik? Absolutely, um, yes, that, that 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 that's a great idea. Now, correlation is a statistical measure that expresses the extent to which two variables are linearly related, how they just linearly tend to move together. Return correlations between asset classes hold the key to the benefits of to the benefits of diversification across different asset classes. We also have that according to modern portfolio theory, holding the market portfolio gives an investor the best possible risk return trade-off over a longer time period. And we now have the explanation for why the traditional 60-40 portfolio with different variations and the more level levered versions of risk parity have gained such popularity. I remember that back in 2020, after the start of the pandemic, Jim, you wrote that bonds would fail to provide diversification to stocks, making the traditional 60-40 portfolio and risk parity strategies poor choices at the time. Fast forward to today, and now everyone seems to agree with you, and it is received wisdom that the 60-40 and or risk parity strategies are a thing of the past. 
Of course, and, and this is worth remembering. In the past 35 years or so, leading up to the beginning of the pandemic, the bond market experienced the secular trend of declining yields. So for two generations of investors, the 60-40 portfolio must have seemed like a universal constant. Are you trying to claim victory today, Jim? Uh, yeah, so uh, I think a vic- you know, victory lap doesn't come often, right? <laughs> But uh, but joking aside, I would say that uh, you know the at the time um, you know during the pandemic time period when the interest rate hit the mark bottom, uh, and I think the um, the argument that uh, bond will cease to be the diversification effect was straightforward. It's more mathematical because when you hit a zero you know zero percent and how much you can go down, right? And obviously, we turn. We also have a little bit longer view uh, beyond in the in, beyond the numerical kind of uh, level of zero percent, in the sense that uh, we can foresee um, that uh, inflation would become a problem uh, because of the large fiscal stimulus and uh, and more importantly, they all monetized by the central bank. And when that happens, that uh, traditional sixty and forty portfolio and the risk parity. That rely on the correlation between bond and uh, stock will not work well. And uh, but now I actually think that uh, that in the future, in the next one to two years, um, the the bond could return to be, um, you know, kind of a diversifier for the traditional portfolio again. Uh, and uh, it may not necessarily be in the long run, but uh, in the next one to two years, I think it's uh, it can. Uh, become a diversifier. Ah, okay. Very interesting. So why do you really expect bonds to provide this, to, 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 to be this diversifier in the future? And why, and more specifically, why only in the next one to two years? Um. Yeah, so I think in order to understand kind of my changing. So remember, I, you know, in a, during the pandemic time period, I say, I said that the bond will cease to be diversifier. Actually, it would become a risk for the, for the, uh, for the, for the stocks and the credit. And uh, now I'm changing my mind. Uh, and I also assign a specific time horizon to that. So I, I think to understand that, uh, you know, kind of this forecast probably is better to understand the thinking behind that and the framework that I use. Um, first of all, when we talk about correlation in a Henrik, you know, it's a basically a statistical measurement, right? And depending how you measure it, even the, the result will be drastically different. Say for example, you can use daily time series, right? Um, and for the same two asset classes, right? Uh, to construct a correlation, right? You can also use quarterly correlation, quarterly returns of these two um, you know, asset classes. You can also use yearly, if your time horizon is very long, I mean, use very like 12, 12 year rolling window, the correlation will be drastically different. Okay, so I think that's the first point. Second point here is that correlation is not a constant number, it changes. Okay, De- depending on the time horizon you measure, sometimes it's positive, sometimes it can be negative, right? And also the time horizon you measure is very important, right? So I, I can give you two time period. One time period, they have a positive correlation, time period A. And then in time period B, they have a negative correlation. 
Now, if I do a regression for time period A and time period B together, the result is uncorrelated. But actually, the uncorrelated nature of that number, they hide the fact that some for some period, some extended period, they're positive. For some extended period, they are negative. Now, this will become very confusing and uh, seems to be random. But in the end, the correlation is the correlation between equity and bond. There actually there is a real economic relationship between them. Um, so, so like right now, everybody's saying, oh, you know, look at a bond. They are they failed to protect the equity in the downside. I think that statement is a wrong statement because the risk to the stock market is actually coming from the interest rate. It is because of the interest rate that we experience the weakness of the stock market. Okay. And that's on the current, current stage. And that's why we have this synchronized movement of a stock and a bond. And that can change. And we expect actually that change as well. So I think understanding the the real economic relationship between bond and equity is very important. Rather than just read, just look at the statistic, you know, past measurement of past correlation for a specific period of time. Okay. So did you mind going a little bit more into the mechanics of this relationship between equity and, and bond returns? That's right. Uh, we can get there. But Henrik, as you know, the discounted cash flow model is basically the foundation to evaluate any financial asset, any financial asset, right? As long as they generate cash flow, right? So in this case, the discount rate, uh, depending on what your discount, right? So the treasury bond will be the interest rate associated with whatever maturity, right? And the credit will add, you know, a risk-free rate plus a treasury rate plus a credit spread. The equity, the discount rate will be the treasury rate, treasury yield or, or risk-free yield plus a equity risk premium. And therefore, rising interest rate is basically lift the discount rate across all the asset classes. In this sense, inherently speaking, this will result no net present values of all financial assets, everything else equal. So from that perspective, the, the relationship, the return relationship between equity and bond should inherently be positive, okay? However, everything else is not equal because we have a cash flow component. And interestingly, the cash flow typically decline during the recession time period. And the interest rate typically decline because the Fed typically will ease the monetary policy, lower the interest rate during the recession. Therefore, that the relationship between them become negative, okay? So, so because the, during the expansion time period, cash flow of the corporate will accelerate. However, the, at that time, the Fed will choose to raise the interest rate, right? And at the time, the stock and the bond, the relationship will become negative. So, so understanding the, you know, the by observing the correlation between equity and the bond 
And you can tell where we are in terms of the market, you know, kind of a regime we're in and, uh, and can anticipate where we are heading. Does that make sense to you, Harry? Yes, 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 it, it, it does. Now, you had previously mentioned that correlations are an inherent part of your market cycle framework. So could you explain a little bit how that works and, and what the linkages are? Uh, yeah, so I kind of hint on that when we imagine that, um, you know, the um, kind of the discount cash flow. Basically, you have a discount rate and and uh, and, uh, and the cash flow, right? And the inverse of discount discount rate is actually basically is the multiple, right? So you can you can see different things about that. Um, to in order to understand that, so I pull here another two by two grid, okay? So you can see here, uh, I have basically interest rate hiking cycle and the interest rate easing cycle, okay? And on the interest hiking cycle, I have a positive correlation between equity and bond, and then negative correlation between equity and bond. In the easing cycle, I also have a positive correlation and a negative correlation, right? So this will give you four quadrant. In, quadru in quadrant one, I call it the bull convergence, that's basically you have an easing cycle and then you have a positive correlation. And then in quadrant two, you have a hiking interest rate cycle and then you have a positive correlation as well. In quadrant three, you have a hiking cycle and a negative correlation. I call it a bear divergence. And then the, finally, we have an easing cycle and a negative correlation and, and we call it a bull divergence. So we can fit our market cycle framework here. We can also fit our liquidity framework here, fiscal and monetary policy here, and a lot of things here um, in this grid. So let me explain. Uh, where do we start? Uh, maybe we can start with hiking cycle, right? So we basically we have a very drastic hiking cycle. So let's see, the hiking cycle typically will start when the economic expansion gained hold, right? When the ex economic expansion was, you know, economic started to expand out of recession, corporate earnings start to pick up, right? And then during that time, interest rate start to rise. Although Fed still kept the Fed fund rate stable, but the market anticipated Fed one day will hike interest rate. So longer dated the rates will start to rise, right? And because we are just right off the recession, uh, corporate you know, earnings are expected to be strong. So the stock price will go higher and the bond price right, actually go lower. And that is basically negative uh, correlation between them. And this is in the early, hike, in, in the early um, market expansion. And this will last all the way into the mid of expansion, right? Uh, and uh, now, once we head into late market expansion time period, the corporate earnings expectations start to basically peter out, right? Uh, at the same time, the interest rate have increased a lot as passage of time. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the negative correlation will start, the negative correlation between them will start to diminish. Okay, so they are not, they are less negative anymore, meaning the rising interest rate will have more impact 
negatively uh, on the uh, on the stock price. As we mentioned, right, that not you know so as as we mentioned in the past, that does not necessarily result in the negative kind of uh, the stock price once the Fed started um, you know the the hiking interest rate because that is because you know um, economy you know the earnings can still grow um, and uh, can still handle um, the rising of the interest rate right. And uh, then we have, then once we, we arrived at a point, right? So we say correlation will be less negative, right? Um, and gradually they will transition into a positive regime. And why? That's during the time, you know, once, once the economic, once the monetary policy become very restrictive, okay? And uh, then the interest rate will start to, to fall, okay? So that will come to the, easing cycle, right? And uh, during that time, um, the corporate earnings are declining and we have recession. And at the very beginning, the, the interest rate, the reducing of the interest rate is slow. The magnitude is small. It's not enough to offset the decline of the earnings, right? So the stock will drop, okay? And that's the time stock goes down, okay? And uh, uh, and uh, and the interest rate goes high, goes lower, or bond price goes higher, right? So so that we are in the bull um, divergence space, and during that time, the stock will provide diversification uh, for the bond, and they are negatively correlated. Okay, so once the Fed cut the interest rate deep enough into uh, you know, in, 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 in you know, after Fed have cut the interest rate by a significant amount, and after that we have, you know, after we have done that for a long period of time, and at the same time the financial, you know, kind of excess were corrected, earnings have declined a lot, a lot of excess capacity have been eliminated, eliminated. So the stock cash flow arrived, the expected cash flow, basically are about to. Um, you know, uh, at a turning point, right? Um, and then the negative, so so remember we're talking about positive correlation, right? So this positive correlation will start to diminish, okay? In other words, the driver is more going to be the, the expected earnings growth, the expected economic growth, rather than the uh, discount rate. And then we have this cycle again. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, repeat again. So so I would say you can basically map it out. So, you know, by applying that framework where we are right now, um, I would say we basically, we are at a hiking cycle, right? Remember in the, two, you know, at the very, two, you know, 20, and then rising interest rate, interest started right in 2021. Uh, and, uh, you know, the um, the stock price go go higher and uh, and the bond yield go higher. So, uh, I mean, they are basically, you know, negative correlated. And uh, so, it, you know, and so there's a bear divergency uh, kind of a regime. And then later on, you know, the, um, the, 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 the discount rate, once they have arrived at a certain level, they become very restrictive uh, and uh, that dominate. And at the same time, the earnings kind of, uh, you know, no longer become a dominant driving force. So we are in a quadrant two, 
basically is driven by the interest rate. So it's a convert, they move in the same time, in the same direction, because the, uh, the interest rate is dominant driver um, for, uh, for the asset classes, uh, for the asset. We're gonna head into, but we think that uh, we are about head into the next regime, which basically will result in the recession. And during that time, we're gonna have an easing cycle again. And uh, so bond will bond, you know, will rally, and the stock will 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 will, will probably have some problem, and uh, then it will bond will provide diversification again. So and then this cycle rings and repeat. I'm not quite sure if I explained this. You know, uh, does that make sense to you, uh, Henrik? Yeah, it does. Yes, yes, it ties. Yes, of course it does. But and okay. By the okay. way, I forgot to mention this, Henrik. Sorry to interrupt you here. Is that you know you remember people always say good news is you know sometimes there is a good economic news release sure. and people say you know good news is uh, it's good news right yeah um and uh, that's basically the economy was driving you know right out out of the recession uh and the way you tell is you know whatever good news come out and uh, you know the market have a big rally so that is that is good news is good news and sometimes good news is bad news and that's typically towards the end of the towards the very end the monetary policy become restrictive. Is at a tilting point where whatever good news come out and uh, it will only enforce where people know you know that the good news is not sustainable and at the same time whatever good news will result in the higher discount rate uh, and therefore good news become bad news right and so that's towards more kind of a, you know kind of a late stage right uh, conversely bad news can become a good news and uh, you know that is typically um, well you know basically whatever bad news and people expect you know, central bank will ease more, right? And that is basically a, a easy way to say, you know, kind of explain some kind of a relationship between between this as well. Okay, right. Now, obviously, then during a high inflation environment, bond and equity returns tend to be positively correlated, and positively correlated, of course, could could also be a reflection of both having negative returns, right? Now. I'm still trying to understand what happened to my portfolio here in the recent <laughs> past. So could, could you become a bit more granular and explain my pain to me? Uh, yeah. So so we're talking about inflation, right? So during the high inflation time period, why the, you know, the bond and the equity, um, you know, the correlation, you know, will turn. So when I talk about, when I talk about during the recession, the interest rate tends to fall. And that's because the Fed lowered the interest rate, right? Uh, and and that's why during the recessions, right? So the the correlation between them is uh, it's uh, is uh, is negative. So the bond is diversified. Although equity goes down, bond will rally. But then we have to ask ourselves the question: Why the Fed lower the interest rate? I mean, obviously it's because of the recession. Now we know Fed have a dual mandate. Uh, one is the inflation. The other is growth. So if inflation is a problem, although growth is a problem, but inflation is a bigger problem. So in that case, the Fed cannot lower the interest rate. Now you get a problem that a growth slows down, that will impact your cash flow. And the inflation is high, that the Fed cannot lower the interest rate. And sometimes they can actually need to hike the interest rate. Now the relationship between the relationship between them is going to be broken because it's going to be more driven by um, you know, the fight the desire to fight the inflation. Uh, and that will move, especially that is true when the inflation is high and the growth is slow. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yes, it, it does, it does, it does. 
So, okay, now, in we recently talked about our liquidity framework and, and, and so on. So could you explain, for example, how the return correlation between bonds and equities ties in with, with the liquidity framework? Um, yes. So when we explain this correlation relationship between them, again, we are assuming, right, that uh, that 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 the you know the the typical central bank reaction functions right and the typical inflation and the growth kind of behaviors right during the difficult economic regime, right and the liquidity is different is is another component that can change this dynamic okay and typically speaking like we talk about when the liquidity when there is a liquidity increase big liquidity increase okay then. You know, basically rising liquidity lift all boats. So that's positive for the aggregate level of the financial market. So that'll push up all the financial asset classes. Okay. And the win, so the correlation is positive. Okay. And it's for the asset price effect, it's also positive. Okay. And that liquidity can come from a lot of places. It can, you know, I, we explain actually after Asian financial crisis, the uh, U.S. benefited from the liquidity from the reverse reserve managers, right? Um, that uh, that want to hold the reserve asset uh, in U.S. dollars, right? And then later on was the QE um, Fed, and also the when the Japan is, when the Japan was doing QE and the Europe was doing QE, and all the money actually came to the U.S. So we have basically have a um, you know one decade and two decades of uh, of of liquidity and. Uh, um, and obviously, the uh, the the supernova was in the uh, during the pandemic time period, right? Um, now, when the liquidity come out of the market, right, and it's basically uh, it will have a pressure across all the financial asset classes. Okay, so so the all the financial asset classes will suffer. So in that case, you know the correlation it will increase the correlation between different asset classes, either equity and bond. At the same time, and uh, you know, obviously they are negative for the asset price. So they are negative asset price, and they will fall together, and that's the case that we are in today. All right. Um, now let's generalize for the you know for the entire we are talking about for the in, you know overall you know assuming everything else is equal. Um, however, you know how the growth and the, and the, how the growth and the inflation come into uh, uh, come into play. Like we said, the distribution of this pressure will be distributed across different asset classes depending mm -hmm. on their relative valuation, right? And their relative valuation, um, you know, their valuation relative to future, you know, kind of a growth and inflation pictures. Uh, and that's why during the um, you know, during the QE time period, every time Fed did, does the QE, right, bond yield actually sell off and the stock price actually rally. That's because we have a, uh, you know, uh, you know, economic acceleration uh, after each pen, uh, after each, each liquidity uh, kind of injection. However, without QE, you can you can argue that you know the the the, the yield would rise much higher uh, than otherwise would be. Okay, and with QE, the interest rate we were able to push into the floor, right? So uh, by applying the similar kind of uh, you know kind of the uh, kind of cause and effect to today, that we can see here is that the liquidity is being drained, 
and that have a pressure for all the you know the bond and the equity. And to a certain point, once we have a recession, once the bond price reach to a certain level, now you and I can argue what is attractive for the risk investors who liquidate their stocks and the fund credit. And during that time, bond may actually rally. Okay, that's because the that's because the the, the money will come out of the bond and credit and uh, during the economic recession, despite of the liquidity uh, squeeze. And obviously, if you have do not have a liquidity drain, they will rally much more. With the liquidity squeeze, they will basically minimize still rally, but the rally moderately, right? Uh, and if during the recession and uh, you know the liquidity further tightened, bomb in our rally, and in that case, stock will goes down a lot more, right? So I think this is not a dynamic that we are watching. Now we do not know exact level, right? What we can observe is when the stock price was when the stock price will react uh, to the rising bond market and when the bond market will react to the reaction of a stock market that sounds convoluted but basically we want to see if the rising the interest rate will result a stock price high or lower and if the rising interest rate will result a stock price lower and that means that uh, that uh, the predominant driver still is the discount rate right uh, and uh, now once the stock, if the stock price goes lower, low enough, and the bond price does not go, you know, the bond yield does not go higher anymore. And that tell us that there is money that is flowing out of the stock and, uh, and it go to the bond market. Now we have to be clear, we have not seen that yet. Okay. The regime that we are in right now is predominantly still by driven by the interest rate. Uh, basically, rising interest rate, everything else, everything uh, sell off. You know, lowering the interest rate, everything rally. And until that, until we, you know, get into recession, where economy become a dominant factor again. So, so that's how we tie, you know, kind of liquidity framework uh, into, into, uh, into, into this, in, into, into, into this. Now, if the liquidity is not the predominant factor. Okay, then the correlation and uh, between equity and bond that can we can apply the framework that I showed in this grid. Okay. okay. Right. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Now, okay. So we now spent quite some time discussing the these correlations, the the cor return correlations between bond and equity, bonds and equities. Now, could you give us some? pointers to very practical uses of this of these insights uh yeah so I think um you know the first thing that we want to realize that uh, you know basically the, the correlation is not just a statistical number and understanding what time horizon you use well, you know and uh, the the frequency of the data that you use um and uh, it can you come up with different numbers uh and but it can help us to understand uh, what is the predominant driver of the asset prices at a particular moment of time. It can inform us the stage of the market cycle, you know, market regime. Um, and by doing that, it also helps us anticipate the change of correlation, right? Because change, the, the change of correlation is very important for the asset allocation. So that, that, is, uh, that is very helpful. 
And of course, you know, if you are derivative traders and uh, you structure different cross asset classes, or we think even asset classes, you're dispersion traders for different sectors of the stocks, uh, and they react differently to the different interest rate environment and the growth environment. Uh, and you can structure dispersion trade and et cetera. So, so whether you are macro, you know, hedge fund manager or whether you are as allocators, and uh, I think um, your first job is to understand, uh, to use the correlation uh, observed in the market in the past to understand where we are right now. And then you anticipate what kind of a correlation um, that can change in the future, anticipate that. And then finally apply that based on your institute, based on the instrument that you have, the mandate that you have, um, and make informed decisions. Does it make sense to you, Henrik? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. This 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 is this was a lot. This was good. So I think we now come to the end of episode seven of total compl total convexity. And Let's have some concluding points. Now, the return correlation between bonds and equities flows from an inherent economic relationship in, between these two asset classes. By observing, that is measuring the correlation between bonds and equities and how this measure changes over time, we can gain insights into the stage of the market cycle we are in, gain a better grasp of the driving forces of the capital markets, and therefore better understand the workings of the current market regime. By anticipating and forecasting the next stage of the markets and the economic regime, one can make informed guesses about the coming correlation between bonds and equities, something which of course can be very useful for portfolio construction and risk management also for asset allocators. And obviously one can also structure derivative trades to capitalize on likely correlation changes in coming economic regimes. As always, of course, the world is full of surprises, but at least we have a logical and internally consistent way to think about possible and likely future changes so that we can position ourselves accordingly. That's what I got out. That's what I got out of this, Joe. Uh, yeah, Henrik, you summarize much better than I do. Um, so, um, you know, let's make this uh, this podcast short and uh, tell us where listeners can follow us, Henrik. Sure. So you can always follow us by looking up or searching for Total Convexity in your favorite podcast app or via YouTube and. Once you've found us, please don't forget to click on the subscription button so that you will be automatically notified when a new episode becomes available. You can also follow us on X, where we have the handle at Total Convexity. And you can always email us at totalconvexity.gmail.com. Finally, you can follow our insights on Substack at totalconvexity.substack.com. We promise never to spam you to push goods, to advertise, to do any other type of marketing. All we want to do is to have fun and to give you our honest take on the markets, rightly or wrongly, and we will try and make it short and sweet. Anything else, Jim? Uh, no, that's it. So thank you, everyone. If you like this podcast, we would appreciate if you can pass along to anyone who may be interested. 
This concludes the seventh episode of our podcast, Total Convexity. See you next time. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial professional before making any financial decisions. All investments involve risks. There are no guarantees of profits and investments may incur losses. The contents discussed in this podcast is not a recommendation for any specific investment. Past performance does not predict future results. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts or affiliated parties. The podcast host and guests may have financial interests in companies or products discussed, and listeners should be aware that the opinions expressed by guests and their hosts may reflect biases. We strive for accuracy, but financial information can change rapidly. The content may not always be up to date or complete, so verify information independently. This podcast does not offer legal or regulatory advice, and listeners are responsible for ensuring that their financial decisions comply with applicable laws and regulations. Mentions of specific financial products or services do not constitute endorsements. Perform your due diligence before engaging with any financial offering. Listeners are fully responsible for their financial decisions, and the podcast's guests, hosts, and affiliated entities are not liable for any financial losses resulting from actions taken on based on the provided contents.